Well, good evening, everyone. My name's Brian, and today is Thursday, August 17th, 2023, and this is another episode of Lots to Talk About. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about landing great clients. My guest tonight specializes on qualifying clients to grow your business. We chat about how to identify your ideal clients and then how to go about landing them. I'm thinking it should be a great chat. If you have any questions and you want to throw them in the chat, I'm sure we can answer those a little later on. But right now, I would like to bring it to lots to talk about and welcome uh, Drake and Knight and Helser. Exactly. All right. I forgot. I forgot to ask you. I mean, I'm I'm notorious on the show for just butchering names. And I was like, finally, one that I'm sure it sounds like it looks and it looks like it sounds. And then I just forgot to ask. <laughs> it is, though. You'd be surprised um, how many people still butcher it. Um, growing up, like Nightingale was the big one. And I would always be like, where did you get Gale? <laughs> <laughs> I have uh, mine's Alexovich. So. Um, it's amazing that I have problems with other people's names since I dealt with it my whole life. And maybe that, maybe that's mm -hmm. why I do It's because I was like, nobody gives a shit about saying mine. Right. So, oh yeah. Well, until, uh, Drake, the rapper got really big. I mean, it was my first and last name growing up. <laughs> Hi, I'm Drake. Greg. No. Drake. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice. Nice. Yeah. Anyway, man, uh, if you want, if you could uh, introduce yourself to the to the audience and uh, kind of let them know who you are. And then, uh, like I was telling you before, I'd, I'd just kind of like a little bit about how you got there. But we'll get to that. Just kind of introduce yourself and who you are, where you come from. Yeah, absolutely. So um, if we like zoom out really far back, I basically left high school, uh, jumped around for a while and really struggled to figure out. Um, like what my strengths were and like where I belonged. I did a lot of trying to succeed despite of who I was instead of because of who I was and what I was good at. Um, in 2016, I, you know, got tired of that and I said, hey, you know, like what, what's something that I can do? I was actually like in my car, I was living out of my car because things had gone so bad. I was sleeping in a parking lot in the August heat of like the August September heat of Phoenix Arizona. Oh, so oh like, no. <laughs> yeah, so it's like 90 degrees out at at night, right? Which means it's like 100 in the car. Oh, and right. um I was just like reached a breaking point where I was like I can't do it this way anymore. So, um I went and looked for for a job based basically based around what what I thought I might enjoy based on things that I'm good at. And I ended up in a sales job and, you know, six months in, I was crushing it and, you know, selling so much that the production team was having trouble, trouble keeping up. And I was making the best money of my life. And I was like, it kind of felt like a fairy tale. Cause I was, I was like, isn't this supposed to be harder? You were hungry, dude. You, you had to do it. Well, not only was I hungry, but you know, I wasn't trying to force something that wasn't a good fit anymore. I was, you know, I was tapping into my natural skills and my natural strengths as a person and the things that I was good at. And as a result, 
the results I was generating came at um, a lower cost, energetically, spiritually, happiness, all that, right? Um, and, you know, during that process, I remember in, in the first year of selling there, I, there was this one specific time when our project manager, um, I could hear her getting really frustrated. And I poked my head out the door of, of my office and was like, hey, is, is everything is everything cool? Is everything all right? And she was like, hey, can we please not sell projects like this anymore? And started telling me about this project. We had sold like racing stripes. I was, I was uh, selling at a commercial, at, at, well, at a vehicle wrap company at the time. So okay. we did commercial wraps. We did color changes. We did like personal customizations. It was basically kind of like this um, local mom and pop shop. And... You know, she's like, we'd sold custom racing stripes to some guy with a, a Porsche came in and this project was just like two months into, um, two months in when it should have taken like two, two weeks max. Cause this guy just nothing with the designers are sitting down with him, like the factory, uh, the Porsche graphics that you can get weren't like cool enough for him. So he wanted nicer ones, better ones, cooler ones. The designers just couldn't get it perfect for him. And the, the project managers that are with end, the designers that is with end, and you know, it eventually reached a point in the conversation where I was like, "Well, why are we selling stuff like this? What if we just didn't sell projects like this?" And she was like, "Yeah, let's let's not do that." So we we underwent this process where we started analyzing what we were selling to and who we were selling it to, and started making changes around that. And over the course of three years, completely transformed the company. Um, you know, client uh, quality went up, client happiness went up, team morale went up. Um, you know, low value, we stopped selling low value projects that attracted the wrong people. So just everything got better. Um, returning revenue from uh, client re revenue from returning clients went through the roof by over like 200% and started representing the majority of our revenue. Um, you know, we, we were able to rebrand as a commercial vehicle wrap company. We expanded out into more states. So we went from like the snoozing mom and pop shop to this like industry leading brand. Um, and three years into that, I left. I went into the high ticket sales space. I started selling things like divorce coaching, marketing opportunities, business opportunities, things like How that. divorce coaching? Like I... I mean, you were where you were just selling it, right? Like, is that a pretty easy sell, or is that? Uh, I mean, like, <laughs> I, I've been well, through one, is why I ask. <laughs> so, in some ways, yes, this was a very specialized divorce coaching program. So, this was a, a program that uh, worked with uh, moms who were in really gnarly divorce or child custody situations uh, with severe narcissists who had basically pulled the wool over everyone's eyes, including her parents, the judge, her own lawyer, like, and many of these moms were multiple six figures in legal fees at this point. So to an extent, selling a $10,000 program to somebody in that right. situation to solve their problem was, wasn't as difficult as, as some might think it would be. But at the same time, these moms were also dealing with trust issues, self-belief issues, uh, money issues, you know? So, um, there was a lot of skill that was required that really pushed me around, uh, you know,
getting them to confront the real problem. And that's what made, made it difficult, uh, particularly like energetically and emotionally. You had to get them to really confront the real reason they needed to solve this problem. And in a situation that bad, the stories were not fun. Um, right. Yeah. So I, I can't imagine. I, it seems like one of those um, not a, a longevity type of job. Like, I feel like there's certain things you do where you're like, I can only do this for so long. I can do it and I can I can I can master it, but I got to get out because it's going to eat me alive. Yeah, well, and it was super it was super rewarding for me because personally, um I came from a background, I came from a divorced family growing up and, um, you know, my parents divorced when I was six, it was not amicable. So, um, you know, there were a lot of things that I really resonated with around their situation and the help that they wanted to get. So it was very fulfilling for me to help facilitate that, that transition to them because the, the program that I was selling for amazing results for moms, every single mom that came in was like, well, I wish I'd done this five years ago, but a handful of months in, you know, after taking call after call after call day after day of, of just some of the roughest stories uh, that I've, I've ever heard, um, I had to tap out. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine it's, it's just, it's draining. And you, you, at some point you realize you're like, man, um, I could probably use these skills somewhere else. I am benefiting people and everything, but I got to move on and um, and live a better, happier life. Uh, Absolutely. Where Where did you kind of go from there? So that was the end of my um, like tried and true like sales career, uh, my pure sales career. Uh, because, you know, when I had been at the vehicle wrap company, I was doing sales, but I was running a one man sales department for a seven figure company. So there was so much to do aside from just taking phone calls. You know, there was admin work to do and there was, you know, marketing stuff to work on and sales systems to refine and scripts and like, um, you know, all these different things that in a small in a small business of like a 10 person company when you're the only person in the sales department and the, biz, the biz, business owner's plate is overflowing, it's, there's just a never ending supply of things for you to go, I'll pick up that. Right. Yeah. So going from that to taking just call after call after call after call and just being in that cycle of, of a one hour call every day for like, you know, six calls a day, got to a point where I was really needing a little bit more, uh, variety in terms of the workload. So um, I left the high ticket space, but at this point I was, I was working commission only at that point. So I was basically self-employed, right? I was working as a contractor in sales and I tasted that, that freedom um, of not having like a, a, a job or anybody to report to. I was able to, define what my day looked like and all these other wonderful things. I was like, I don't think I can go back to like a job. So I started trying to figure out what it was that uh, I was going to do. And uh, earlier this year, like at the very beginning of the year, uh, I was in Tennessee visiting with a very good friend of mine, 
uh, he's a copywriter who has sold, uh, whose, whose copy has sold, you know, north of, of 15 million uh, on the light side. And I was like, dude, I don't know, like, what am, I don't know what, I, what I'm going to do. And he was like, what about the stuff you did at that rap company? I was like, what about it? He was, I was like, I just sold. And he was like, I don't know, from what you told me, it seems like you did a lot more than that. Let's, you know, he's a copywriter. So he started pulling all this stuff out of me about what I did and, you know, the accomplishments. And I was like, hmm, I think you're actually onto something. Right. So I went on this process where I started, uh, like, I didn't really fully understand what I had actually done while I was there. Because when you're in the moment, you're just like going, well, hey, why are we selling that? Let's stop selling that. Well, hey, why are we working with people like this? Why don't we try and work with more people like that? They're just in the moment decisions, right? Well, hey, why are we talking about this specific aspect of what we do this way? Let's talk about it this way, right? And all these little nuanced things that you do in the moment that you just kind of take for granted, I started dissecting those. And in order, in order to understand it, I wrote a book. And uh, that book is called The Seven Steps to Attracting Great Clients. And it's basically everything that we did at that company that made us a front runner in the industry. And um, kind How's of that dissecting go? that. Uh, it's good. It's actually getting ready to publish on Amazon. It's in review as we speak. So nice. in the next few days, it's going to be up. Um, nice. But, but anyway, that, like, that's kind of how I ended up here. Um, so the, and, the book is we, we were talking earlier. Right? Well, we'll uh, I'll definitely we'll uh, we'll talk about the book. And you said it's mm -hmm. coming out in the next couple of days. So I'll end up grabbing a link and getting it in the mm -hmm. in the description and everything for Amazon. But uh, we were talking before and you said here, this is where we how we got here. Where are you right now? Because you said when we logged on this morning, you're like, good morning. And I'm like, you're <laughs> drinking coffee at like six o'clock at night. Where where is the uh, where is the app? Yeah, I am in Bali, Indonesia. So uh, one of my audience members is uh, the Philippine nomad here. He uh, he tunes in opposite. Oh wait, I, he tunes in opposite um, time. So I do a morning mm -hmm. show every day, Monday through Friday at six a.m. And he's uh, he's usually going to bed or like evening and mm -hmm. uh, getting ready to wind down. And then uh, for the evening shows, he'll pop in. So he was saying good morning earlier also. So that's, it was funny when you said that, I was like, oh man, <laughs> it makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So that's, I mean, this is something that, um, that's something that's giving you the opportunity to travel like you are, is running your own thing, um, not yeah. having yeah. that J-O-B. And even beyond not having the job or just like the commission base, set your own schedule. Like you're running your own thing. Like mm -hmm. no, there is no one to tell you you can't you can't go to Bali, dude, for a couple of months and and hang out. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, um, honestly, towards the the end of my uh, tenure at the vehicle wrap company, and one of the reasons why I ended up leaving was I really wanted more freedom in terms of of schedule and things like that. So that was one of the reasons why I transitioned into high ticket uh, sales. But um, yeah, the, the, the freedom is just amazing. And, you know, probably about last November, uh, I was in Indiana with my girlfriend where my family's from. And, you know, we were living there at the time. And she 
basically said, hey, I'm not really happy here. And I was like, really? I didn't know that. Let's talk about it. How unhappy are you? And like on a scale of one to 10, she was like a three. She was like, I was like, oh my gosh, that's not good. Like, <laughs> and she was like, well, how happy are you? And I was like, probably like a five, maybe a six. And she was like, really? That unhappy? I thought you loved it here because your family's here. And I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the only selling point in Indiana. <laughs> and uh, for me anyway. Um, so that opened up a whole conversation about, well, well, what are we going to do? And, you know, leaving the country and traveling the world for a year is, is what came from that. That's awesome. Yeah, that was kind of that was kind of our deal. Uh we stayed in Minnesota. We were in the suburbs and we ended up buying my wife and I, well, we got married after we moved. We, I wasn't ever going to get married again, but she, she convinced me of it. Um, but, uh, we, we moved to a, a farm because of family in Minnesota and my family ended up leaving any, like I had moved there. I grew up in New York. I moved there with an ex-wife. And at that point there was no, nothing there. And one day she's like, you know, let's go. Like, the cold mm -hmm. is worse. The cold is worse than the distance relationships and things like that. We really reevaluated. Um, you know, you love family, but it, at some point you got to do it for you. And so that was kind of the the tipping point where we were then willing to leave that area, and it opened up so many, um, so many avenues. But like you said, it's that one conversation, and you're just like, I got you know. I guess I'm really not like your reaction. Uh, I was looking at your face and you're like, I was kind of like, man, yeah. Like you weren't thinking about it. Like mm -hmm. you were just kind of cruising. <laughs> well, it's funny how easy it is to fall into that. Like mundane, like mediocre happiness with what you're doing, whether it's your business, whether it's your job, whether it's your, where you're living, it's so easy to fall into that and forget how much more is actually available to you. Yeah, it's, uh, I was actually talking to a, a audience member today about it privately about uh, situation and it, it, it's it, a lot of it has to do with comfort. And a lot of it has to do mm -hmm. like when you get in that longevity and you get in that routine and you build those little cheats in your life all around that routine. And you're like, oh, man, I got to do something different. And I'm going to have to start all over again and figure it all out again. Um, but once it happens, it I don't think you can do it. Like it's it's eye opening um, how bad, not necessarily bad you are, but how unfulfilled like there's so much more that you can do and you don't even realize it until you realize oh, it. Oh yeah. I think the biggest thing that comes up for me when you say that, especially around what's been going on for us with this trip, cause we're like four months in, when you change your environment drastically, it changes so many things that it really brings all of the things you've been ignoring to the surface. Yeah. Like the things that really needed to change, the things that were problematic, that you'd figured out these little hacks for or you kind of just kind of gotten used to and ignored brings them all to the surface and forces you to address them and when you do that it's difficult but coming out the other side of it is majestic and beautiful right oh did you um did you get rid of all your shit 
like we went from 35 acres and multiple outbuildings and a huge farmhouse and all that. And now we're in a 32 foot camper and a truck. Like we drastically minimized. Yeah. We got rid of some, uh, we didn't really have that much to begin with. Cause I did like a three month, like quarter life crisis trip to Sweden in like around like 2012 ish, nice. 2013 and spent three months living out out of just a couple bags and was like uh, i don't ever want to own a lot of stuff again right. so it's, we it, were... once you do it once you do it i don't think you go back mm, like once no. you really experience purging your life um anytime you start to accumulate shit you just start going i got too much shit i got too much shit i gotta get rid of it <laughs> oh yeah i mean i have the same t-shirts that I wear every week. I have the same, I have like one or two pairs of shorts that I wear, one pair of flip-flops. Like I'm not extreme about minimalism, but I'm also conscious of whether or not I'm, I actually need what I'm buying. And if I do need it, I'm going to buy the nicer version so that I don't have to buy it again. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, anyway, you, uh, you're here to talk about, um, <laughs> finding better i mean that's kind of how this show goes man like mm -hmm. i i go down so many rabbit holes i find interesting people so many interesting people and just talk about their how they got to where they're at and their stories are so much um they interest me and then mm -hmm. now we get the great value of the second half of the show let's talk about while you're here and um and finding better higher quality and more clients for people's businesses um it seems like a logical thing that you would want to do mm -hmm. um, yeah. <laughs> so so you've kind of you kind of figured it out and you just did it naturally it was stuff that came to you um was there uh inspiration in that in that transformation at that first business was there um was that just kind of stuff that came natural to you or did you delve into um educating yourself and kind of going down that path um a combination of both uh some of it was just natural like so one of the one of the really unique things that i experienced during that time when you're in sales you're at the top of the food chain there's not really anybody else to do things to make your life difficult right so whatever you're at the top of the hill and when you sell something, you kick it down the hill and you watch how it affects everyone else. You get to watch that sale and the ripple effects of it as it goes through the business. So the natural part was just observing that. And when there was a really difficult project or something that caused problems or something that frustrated the team or um, what have you, you just kind of start to notice patterns and be like, well, that's not really great. So let's find a way to not let that happen again. And well, right. it's natural. Yeah. But, I, I like, I like how you observed your team below you mm -hmm. and, and kind of, um, you realize that you gotta keep, you gotta keep the people doing that happy. Otherwise you got nothing to sell really. Yeah, um, out of that came the understanding that sales is a huge responsibility. You know, you are literally responsible for how everyone else in the company experiences the company. 
Right, right. So would the techniques that you teach a salesperson, so you do you typically work with salesmen or are you working with entrepreneurs? Are you working with business owners um, or all of the above? Um, mostly business owners. So, you know, the, the people that I work with, I would, I would qual qualify as small business owners, consultants, um, coaches, freelancers, or experts. Okay. Okay. So, so it's kind of broad, but yeah, I mean, man, you talk about broad net. I, I've been trying to kind of rebrand my show and I'm like, what do I want to talk about? And I'm like, everything. Everything. Yeah. Um, well, but <laughs> no, go ahead. The, 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 the things that come to like that are involved in attracting better clients are like, they're not hyper niche. They're like universal foundational business concepts that pretty much anybody can implement into a business. So it's, it's, I'm not really super interested in niching down there may be a time when that comes but right now i just want to have a broad net and see what that net can catch all right all right yeah man that i mean that makes perfect sense is like if you're a, if you're a small business owner you're you're trying to sell your product whether you're the salesman um whether you're not whether you have a sales team you're you are the brand you are the owner mm -hmm. you start i mean it makes sense from the top down um, and then everything down to just the guy trying to get a leg up, trying to sell a product that he's just working for a company. It, I mean, it's, it is a wide yeah. net. It makes sense. Um, let's, uh, let's define this. And, um, mm -hmm. I, you like to talk about good client, great client, better client. Um, how do we define that? Like, what is, what are we looking for in that, in that good client? Yeah. So the, 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 the specific criteria are unique to you and the business um, a good client for you is defined as somebody who is easy to work with easy to deliver results for and that really comes around focusing on your strengths and building the business around your strengths um, when and your values as a person when we build the business around your strengths and your values you're naturally going to attract people who are good fits for those things Okay. So, so oh, go ahead. That that's really it. <laughs> so, um, so you have to look at what you. So basically, you have to look at what you want to do and what you value as uh, being important to try to attract those people that have those same values. So it makes it you're making it easier on yourself to satisfy your customers. Yeah, it's, it's path of least resistance. And I, I apologize to anybody who's watching this show who is looking for, uh, you know, the next big, new, sexy thing. But, you know, the stuff we, that we don't that do big, is, new, sexy here. That's, that's, the, that's not what we that's about the opposite. We uh, we just do like, uh, let's figure out how to do it so we can not get scammed and stuff like that. So I appreciate yeah. the, the not big, new, sexy things. Yeah, like it, it, it's funny because like as humans, we tend to be attracted to the big sexy things. And that's what a lot of business owners try and build their business with the next big marketing concept, the new social media platform, whatever it is. But the things that truly make the difference in your business are the mundane, boring things that are foundational 
and that's really what I help people with. So um, it's it's not sexy, but it is very very effective and not all that complicated. I like to joke with people that like I I didn't invent this because nothing that really works in the business world is new. <laughs> well, right. I mean, it's it's psychology. It's people. Mm -hmm. People are people. They're, they're always going to be people. Um, I, I had a question here that, um, that was talking about making working with the business a better experience. Um, when mm -hmm. I saw that, because I, I, people, I tell people all the time, I, I grab a lot of guests off Podmatch, and it's fantastic because it lays out the stuff that, that you are mm -hmm. knowledgeable about. I don't have to guess. I don't have to do any of that when i well no i mean like it, it's it's such a great service and i i really appreciate yeah. being able to always circle back to the the questions um mm -hmm. that are like safety nets uh but anyway i was looking at this questions and when you you put the how do you make working with us how do you make working with you a better experience um that light bulb went off and i was like mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> yes that that makes sense um how did you how did it how did that all come about how does how does this oh. um i mean that's it's just a great topic in general well part of it was observing what happened during that three-year process of seeing working with us become a better experience both for people on the team and for clients and seeing how that slowly that transition slowly created an ascension for everyone and part of it comes from just spending a lot of time studying sales. I invested a lot of uh, time and money into learning sales from the best of the best. And when I say sales, I don't mean sleazy, how can I get your money sales? I mean, leadership sales, like how, how can I figure out if this is, if, if and how I can help you and then help you make the decision that is best for you. Right. And as a result, get the sale, right? As a right. byproduct, much of the time a sale will a sale will happen but through all of that learning you know i basically realized that you know you, you learn that sales is emotion right so everybody buys based on emotion and then we wrap it in logic there may be people out there that tell you i don't buy based on emotion i use pure logic and it's just not how the, the, the human it's not part of the human condition we are emotional beings we make all decisions for emotional reasons so if you can make people feel better emotionally, and that is the 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 energy that you put into the marketplace, right. you're going to attract better clients because people are going to go I out mean, there. There, there are there are probably there are probably people out there that buy strictly on logic, strictly on research, strictly on the best, the best, the best, or whatever criteria they have. But there are not enough of them to make it worth your effort to not target mm -hmm. people buying as emotion. Like I, I, uh, I, I've run into that a couple of times with some stuff I've gotten discussions with people and they're like, but this, there's like these, these people think this. And I'm like, okay, what percentage of the, the total are those people? Um, you get the complaints from the one out of the million that loved it. Those, those right. are the things that you got to remember. But even if we look at the people who are trying to apply logic, they're wrapping the logic and emotion. So, you know, if you, if you tell me that there's this logical reason 
why you want to buy this? And I said, well, but why is that important to you though? Oh, well, because I'm just really tired of X, Y, Z and I don't want to deal. I don't want to go through this experience again. And I just really need it to work the first time. And that's emotion. I got you. I got you. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is what it is. <laughs> it's human. It's humans. It's, um, that's, that's something that I've kind of delved into a little bit on, um, on the stuff I mess around with. Like I'm still learning the whole business side of all of the podcasting and social media and all that type of stuff. Uh, so I'm kind of delving into these topics on my own and hearing you talk about them is um, clearing some of that up for sure. Um, so if, uh, if somebody looking to figure out what to focus on in their business, um, is mm-hmm. this something that we can do at the beginning? Is this something that we have to reevaluate um, kind of down the line? Like if you're offering several different products and you're trying to figure out which one's the best to focus your time on, um, but you haven't really had any success yet, uh, how do you mm-hmm. determine what to go with? That's where I run into a lot of people with issues is what do I put my time into because I have so much I want to put my time into? Yeah, that's a great question. So there, I think there's two parts there. One, like who is it good for new businesses or existing businesses? Did I understand that correctly? And then second is like, how do you determine like what you actually- Well, yeah, yeah, but my, it was kind of focused. Um, yes, is it is it applicable to both the, the, the budding entrepreneur and both then somebody also trying to up their sales that's already established and trying to take it to another level? That would be question one, I guess. Yeah, so applicable to both. Um, If somebody can build this stuff into their business from the foundation, uh, life as a business owner is going to be far easier and far less stressful, far far less complicated, and just much more enjoyable. Um, But uh, the people that tend to get the most results from it the fastest and really see the value in it and have that quick turnaround are established businesses because um, you know if you're already doing you know half a million or a million a year and you start making these transitions it's like shedding the weight as opposed to never picking it up are two very different feelings right oh for sure for sure and and that's that's um that's what i was hoping your answer was uh because like building all of the stuff I have, like I, uh, I have episode 500 of my podcast between mm-hmm. interviews and morning shows is going to be on Monday night. And, um, I wish I knew everything I know now that I would have implemented it at episode one. Um, uh-huh. even though it wouldn't have made a difference in episode one, like it, I know episode one would have had the same amount of listeners to whether I, I could have like stood on my head naked in the video well maybe it would have gone viral then but you know like it wouldn't have changed much but having it there as a practice from the beginning definitely would have made a difference at episode 500. oh yeah oh yeah so hearing you say that it's stuff that um this mental process that we can go figure out what to focus on can be run through before you're actually um pushing product and stuff is is uh is encouraging um what 
what do we look for? How do we kind of go through this? Can you kind of walk through a, a, an analysis or a baby analysis? Yeah. So there are two big processes um, that I teach people out the gate. This is like the the quick win. Uh, not a, not a lot of what I do isn't quick wins. It's like the slow slow consistent change. But these two things are really quick wins, and I learned them from Frank Kern. Um, and it was one of those those experiences where um, I learned these exercises from him after I'd left the wrap shop and then kind of went, huh, that's cool. Cause like, this is like basically what we did, but we were just kind of like you following logic and intuition. This is an actual structured framework to help figure it out in one sitting. <laughs> Wish I'd had this three years ago. Um, but they're called the best payday and the best buyer exercise. So best payday is essentially where you sit down and you write out a list of all of your deliverables, um, product, which would be your products or services. And then you score each one of them on six criteria. Um, how, what's the net worth? How easy is it to sell? How, e or sorry, net profit? How easy is it to sell? How easy is it to deliver? Does it, how much does it energize you? Um, how, uh, how sustainable is it and how it can you, is it replicatable or automate automatable meaning can you train somebody else to do it or can you automate it right so you score it based on, on a scale of one to five one being low five being high on these six criteria and the ones that score the highest are the one that scores the highest is your best payday that's what you should be focusing on and the ones that score the lowest are the ones that you know you should start getting rid of ASAP. Now, obviously, if the, you know, like 30 or 40% of your revenue comes from uh, the lower ones, you don't want to just like, you know, amputate that revenue. But, you know, it does tell you which ones are, are important and you can just slowly, methodically phase out the lower ones until you're left with that one. Because yeah. what I teach is the one, one, one equation, one buy, one, one offer, one buyer, one fulfillment process. And um, sorry, did you have something? No, no, I'm sorry. I, uh, I was just, I was just saying, uh, or I was just thinking while you were saying that it, um, that scoring system really drives home what you're going to be willing to put the most energy into, like. Yeah, a long term, it really is what you want to do. Mm -hmm. It naturally helps you identify what it is in your business that you're good at. And that's going to be different for, for every business. You could take five car detailing companies and have them do this exercise. And their scores, even if they're, they're doing the same products, they can score differently. Right. Oh, they should. They absolutely right. should. Unless the same guy owns all of them. <laughs> Right. Because there's the human element in there. Like, what can you charge the most for? Well, we can usually charge the most for what we're best at. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, what I, energizes you? The things that energize us are usually the things we like. And we usually like the things that we're good at, not the things we're bad at. <laughs> right. Right. Can you um, I kind of cut out a little bit. Can you um, say the one, one, one method again? Oh, yeah. So the one, one, one equation uh, is you sell one offer to one buyer and you use one fulfillment process. And that's the equation for massive profits because it allows you to um, specialize and get really good 
at what you deliver, at the experience around what you deliver, and do it without all the headache of having too much going on. Um, I kind of jokingly say that, you know, if you have multiple products or services that you sell, you actually have a bunch of micro businesses within your business because for every product or service you sell, you need a different sales process and a different marketing process and a different fulfillment process. And then you throw in all of the different, um, you know, types of clients for each of those products and services and uh, the different wants, needs and desires of all those varying client types for each product or service. And it's not hard to see how so many business owners just end up stressed and overwhelmed. For sure. For sure. Um, let's uh, let's hit on trust here quick um, mm -hmm. and talk about how how can you build yourself up as a trustworthy um, trustworthy company, trustworthy voice, uh, whether it's independent, single person or a company, how do you build that trust um, in the community, in that market? Yeah, so I think being, being very clear about um, and transparent with the marketplace is a very good first step. And it's something that tends to put us outside of our comfort zone. Oh, excuse me. When you do it, really bears some, some really wonderful fruit because not a lot of people experience that in the business world. You know, most people are used to businesses trying to like highlight the good and hide the bad. But when we're, we're just transparent about who we work with and what we do and what we're good at and what we're not good at, and you know, doing things like addressing the elephant in the room, it generates a lot of trust. Right. You know, um, one of the stories that I used in my book is about a software company that I know that is a um, a white label version of a large software in like the the, the CRM marketing world. Okay. And yeah. this this parent software is probably one of the, the top five in their space in. Uh, you know, in like a $70 billion a year industry, right? Right. So this company is, a, the, the company I'm referring to is a white label of that, that, that uh, software, but they pretend like it's their software, right? And even though a lot of their clients know it's white label, right? It's like the fact that this software does white label is very commonly known. A lot of their, their companies know that their clients know it's white label, but they still pretend. Right. So when something's not working with the software, instead of saying, hey, we'll get with XYZ company and follow up on this, but we'll let you guys know, we'll, we'll kind of nudge them and, and let you know what happens. They say, oh, well, we, we're working on that. We'll get that fixed. Right. And especially when people know it's white label, it's just like, Come on, dude. Yeah, yeah. I I had that that turning point. So I I rep coffee. Um, I'm in a coffee club I, with a micro roaster that does um, small batch coffee. Uh, known him for a long time, and and been one of the original coffee club members. Uh, part of the perk of that is uh, he will you have up to X amount of pounds that you can white label whatever you want. Mm -hmm. And I was doing that, and I was I was like. 
playing it off as it was my coffee. And I'm like, this isn't my coffee. Like at one point I was just like, this is, this is nonsense. Um, he's mm -hmm. in the community. People know like it's, it was weird to talk about it and try to keep everything straight. And so I was like, no, nah, dude, let's just cut the same, cut the bullshit out of the middle and let me sell your, your coffee. Um, yeah. Can I still use my names that I came up with? Because I did pick the blends. Like he made me custom right. blends. We did taste testing. I made the labels. Um, they are my brands, but it, he's the roaster. Like I'm not right. a coffee roaster. I don't know jack shit about roasting coffee. The actual process. I know a hell of a lot about coffee, but I don't know about the process of roasting it. Well, the, the, the funny thing about situations like that is that not only does being honest about it, um, not being honest about it, have the opportunity to actually like degrade the trust and, and your the, the people's view of your integrity. Right. But being open and upfront about it actually opens up a door for you to address the true value of what you do. Right. Right. So like in that instance, like you can't really talk about the true value of that coffee because you aren't the true value. He is. Right. 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 So, so exactly. without, without, by, by trying to, to position it as your coffee, that's all you can do is say, this is my coffee and it's great. Right. Take my Try word. Try it. Right? Trust me. <laughs> right. But if you, if you're honest about that, it's white labeled and it's actually this guy's coffee, you can actually sell, use him to sell it and say, Hey, this guy has this many experience, this many years of experience, he has these rewards. He's great at this. He's known for this. And this is his coffee. You should buy so, it. So I had another question down that lines. We, we, we've been at him and I have actually been having recent discussions on, on targeting the right clients for his coffee. Mm -hmm. um, when you have a market that's very small. So his, his coffee would be considered in, you know, there's, there's numbers like the 56% of Americans drink coffee. 3% drink a decent like specialty coffee. 3% of that 56 and then he's probably selling to, you know, the top 2% of that. Mm -hmm. um, is that an advantage or a disadvantage when it comes to trying to find your ideal client? Like, does that really narrow it down for you? Or is does it make it harder because there's less people? Depends on how you arrived at that decision. <laughs> um, I guess. So... Well, to be more specific, it depends on how you arrived at the decision of who that group of people is going to be. So, um, you know, one of the things we have a tendency to do is to make emotional decisions about who we're going to sell to based on what we perceive as good or what we feel would be good um, without really looking at the data. A lot of business owners make decisions without, without looking at data. But like the, the like the traditional avatar exercise is a really good example of how people end up going down the wrong path with that. Because the avatar exercise, are, are you familiar with it? Uh, yeah, somewhat. Yeah, I figured you probably would be. Um, it, but basically, it says, "Hey, you know, stop and think about who you want to work with. Imagine what they look like. Just picture them in your mind. Now tell me about them. How old are they? Where do they live?" What's their job? What keeps them up at night? What's wrong with the, their situation? Like all these things that are 
helpful for creating marketing materials, but they're not really helpful for deciding what makes a good client for you, right? So this is why I prefer the best buyer exercise, which I mentioned earlier, which comes with a prompt. And again, I learned this from Frank Kern, but the prompt is if you could only get paid by your client after you delivered the promised result, what would that person have to look like in order for you to be willing to take that bet, right? So this prompt shifts our thinking away from like, well, who do I want to work with to who am I actually willing to like bet on? And who, who do I want to send that pound of coffee to that when they get it and set it on the counter, they're more than willing to hand the same amount of revenue back to you that they that you wanted to charge them beforehand? Is that is that right. kind of what what that example was? Yeah. So like imagine, you know, myself. So as a consultant helping businesses, you know, if, if people pay me, if, if, if I expect people to pay me up front, there's not as much risk for me. So I'm willing to be more lax with who I sell to. But if I have, to, if I, if I, if I'm saying, Hey, I can increase your revenue by 10% in X time. And I have to have to do that to, in order to get paid from you then the people that I'm going to actually consider working with are going to be very different. Right. Right. Okay. And when we take that, that prompt and list out all of the mindsets and characteristics that somebody would have to have in order to, um, for us to be willing to take that bet, you know, a mindset being aspects of how they think that make them easy to work with and to deliver results for and characteristics being aspects of their situation that makes them easy to work with and easy to deliver results to. Uh, you know, when, when, and when we take those two lists and then distill it down to three mindsets and three characteristics, we're left with a really clear picture of what a great client looks like for us. Right. And then, I mean, as you do all this, as you do all this parring down, as you do all this targeting, um, mm -hmm. the conversions have to come easier, I would assume. Mm -hmm. As you go back and you shift all of your messaging, your forward-facing messaging in your marketing and your sales process to address the best buyer and the best payday, you start to you, you will start to see better people show up at your doorstep because that process of speaking uh, to your best buyer about your best payday is not only going to attract higher quality people for you, it's going to repel the low quality people. Right. And not, not even not necessarily quality. We're not talking quality as in um, quality people for a different business, um, just the right. quality people for your business. Right. Exactly. As defined by your business's needs, not not necessarily that, you know, I, th I think a lot of people want to serve themselves. I, th I think people get a f they're like oh well people will be offended if I don't if I don't want to include them or like that th that I'm not um not offended like not woke offended like um I don't want to hurt people's feelings that I don't I'm not targeting their their business yeah there's a, there's a lot of really great things that come from not engaging in the behavior of trying to serve everyone. Not only does your life get better, but when you serve a specific type of person and somebody does call you that doesn't fit that, you're able to confidently say, hey, 
you know, I don't think we're going to be the right fit for your project, but I do know a company that might. Let me right. connect you. Right. And you don't feel like you're letting money, you're, you're letting a customer walk out the door. You're feeding your competition because you, because what you do and how you do it and the, the person you do it for no means that that other company isn't actually your competition anymore. Right. Like if we look, if we all look at business, the way you've kind of just described it over the last half hour or so, um, there is no two alike. We all have, no. I mean, we all have individual clients and there's enough for everyone. Like it feels like mm -hmm. there's this big, huge push to, we have to gobble everybody up. And that's not the, I mean, maybe huge corporations feel that way, but I think on, on a small business level on an entrepreneur level and not, especially on a side hustle level, um, I think there's plenty of fish in the sea, especially mm -hmm. when you kind of look at it in the lens that you've brought today. Mm -hmm. so. One of the things that uh, I actually talk about in my book is is standard deviation, which is also known as the the bell curve. Is probably, most people probably know it from from school with uh, test grading. But um, you know, I was I was ruminating on this same thing and I was wondering one day if there was something in life that would actually uh, corroborate it and back it up and I went and started doing some digging and I came across the standard deviation uh, and I started digging into it more and more and learning about it and I was like this is amazing but basically what standard deviation tells us is that um, the farther we get away from the average result uh, the fewer a lower percentage, you know, um, is there. Sorry, my words aren't very good right now. But basically, so like, you know, one one to two de like within one deviation away from from the average, that represents sixty eight percent of data, right? With within one to two deviations combined, either way, um, represents like twenty seven percent, so on and so forth, right? So yep. like. If you use like the height of men, this is the example I use in the book. Height of men in the U.S. The average height is five foot ten. Men from five foot seven to five foot ten represent thirty-four percent. Five foot um, seven or five foot ten to six foot one, um, thirty-four percent. But when you get out to like you know six foot one to six foot four, it's it's like thirteen and a half percent. Six six foot seven plus is like 0.15 percent, right? So when we look at standard deviation in relation to client quality, what we actually discover is that if you want, you know, above average clients or better, only 16% of the marketplace is actually available to you. Okay. Right. right? You're, out, so, you're out specializing out from the norm. Right. And when you, when you actually look at it through that lens, it gives you permission to be more particular right. because the math tells you, that you should be particular. Well, and it also tells you that there's 16% that a lot of people aren't going to target because that's that that's not the easy that's not the easy target, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you really think about it, if if I say, hey, well, who who am I going to sell to? I'm going to sell to everybody. I'm going to sell to everybody. I want to sell to everybody. The people that and that's the easy chunk. Going through the motions of like going through the thought process of figuring out who you want to sell to and getting to that 16% exclude you from you know it's got to exclude you from the majority of people just trying to cast a net 
Yeah, it, it, it definitely feels easier on the front end because the winds come faster. When like with the, the vehicle wrap company, for instance, you know, when I started there, we were just saying, hey, we're a vehicle wrap company. And if, you know, you need something wrapped on your vehicle, excuse me, we'll do it. And, you know, sales, 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 sales. But they were all, you know, smaller sales. And, you know, even our, our bigger clients that in the commercial region were, were, you know, most of our clients were only spending I don't know, maybe 10 grand a year. Right. And we had a couple bigger, bigger clients that were spending in the range of, I think around like 40 or 50 a year, but not that many, you know, most like 90% of our accounts represented um, 10 K a year or less. When three years later, when we'd made this transition, we had, uh, you know, most of our accounts were worth more than 10 K. Right. And our biggest account was worth like a quarter million dollars, you know. You you were hustling so, for dollars instead of instead of finding the right clients and doing the work you were enjoying for a lot better money. Yeah, a hundred percent. But on top of that, we we were always having to sell to keep up. Whereas when we made this transition and we landed these better clients, they just started coming back and saying. Hey, um, I ordered another five vehicles. They're going to be here in six weeks. Right. Can you whip up an Make invoice? It work. <laughs> yeah. Make it work. Charge the same card, same card as usual, John. Yep. Yep. Cool. You got it. Perfect. And yeah. that became like that became sales. Like when I started there, my first year, sixty percent of revenue was from my sales that first year. Because I only did new new sales, so I brought in new clients, and then we had a project manager who handled returning clients. Right, sixty percent of my sales represented uh, my rep my sales represented sixty percent of revenue the first year. My last year, my sales represented like fifteen percent. That's that's good though. <laughs> right, so it's good because you know we were I was I was landing better clients that we're spending more money and they're just coming back and going, Hey, I need, I need another one. I need another one. I need another one. And is there just, ever a fear of getting to the point where you have those clients, you have that relationship with them and something happens, not, not by any fault of your own, they go out of business for some reason. Uh, you lose that client. Is it, is it possible to position yourself so that when you have an availability in production or you have an opening of a lost client that 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 spot is in demand and it's just easy to fill it is possible um but the way you get there is you know there there's some marketing concepts around introducing scarcity and things like that um there's a guy out there. I don't know if you've heard of him. You probably have Alex Ramosi. Yep. So he talks about um, supply and demand and how the, the worst thing you can do is to sell your entire demand in one go, because then when you're done with those clients and you need more, you have to go fabricate and manufacture more clients through sales and marketing. Um, so that's definitely an aspect of if you have a, uh, an actual limit to what you can handle, then stating that limit and creating a waiting list when, when that limit is full. But 
the, the rest of the answer is not super sexy. It's basically get really good at what you're doing at, create a fulfillment process that delivers outsized results that your competition can't compete with and make working with you such an amazing experience that who would you want become to? known as the go-to company in the market so that whenever you need clients, you can get clients because right. your reputation precedes you. Right. Perfect. Perfect. So that, goes back, that goes back into the doing what you love that you can do the mm -hmm. best um, and to being that trustworthy, to being that trustworthy person in the market. I mean, it's full circle right there. Um, we're here at an hour. Um, we haven't talked a whole lot about the book. If you want to take a minute, talk about your book, talk about, uh, you said it's out in a couple days. I'll definitely be getting the link for it and, um, and blasting that out after the fact to my audience. Uh, but I'll get it in the notes here and then, uh, talk about where the people can find you. And then, um, you know, if that's not enough, I, I like to give, uh, the guests, uh, a moment to just leave the audience with whatever they want. So plug all your stuff as much as you want, talk as long as you want about it. And then uh, leave us with some words of wisdom and we'll wrap things up, man. It's uh, the floor is yours for as long as you want to take. Awesome. Sounds good. Um, so basically the, the book is called The Seven Steps to Attracting Great Clients, How to Rise Above Your Competition, Become the Go-To Company in Your Market, and chart, Ethically Charge Two to Three Times More. And it's it's all based on my experience from those, those two or three years um, at the rap company and um, everything I've learned since then as well, you know, in, from the time I started there to today, I've invested well over, over $50,000 into my education as a business owner. And all of that is wrapped up in this book. Um, it's got, you know, action items. It's something that I created for the busy business owner. It is not one of those books that is, you know, takes hours and hours to read. Uh, it is, should take between 60, 60 to 90 minutes to read, depending on how fast of a reader you are. So it's really short, it's condensed, there's not a lot of fluff, there's not a lot, a lot of like storytelling. Um, it's really just pure, actionable items and shifting in thought processes and frameworks um, and teaching you how to actually implement these seven steps into your business and why they're important. Um, it is, it is not for the person who's looking for uh, a magic pill or a magic easy button in their business to change things overnight. It is for the people who are looking to create powerful, long-term foundational change to make their business easier in the long run, but are willing to endure some bumps in the road um, in the short term to get there. Um, but... Um, other than that, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a great book, you know, obviously I wrote it, but, um, I mean, I mean it, it, as, sounds, it sounds fantastic. I mean, it's right up my audience's alley. Like we don't, we're not the shortcut type of people. So I, I, I appreciate you saying that and, and putting that out there. Um, is there a, is there a website we can find it? I have a website actually in the show notes already, um, mm -hmm. without the book, uh, but, um, website that people can find out more and it, I think there's a there's something you can fill out there yeah so um, the, the my website is profitcollective.vip if you want to learn more about me and what I do and, and things like that um, for those who want to take what we talked about today and go put it into their business um, I put together a training that goes over the 111 equation 
best buyer and best payday and teaches them how to do it. Um, it is a free training. You can access that at profitcollective.vip forward slash three, the number three, simple steps. Nice. Nice. I will, uh, um, I will definitely make sure that's correct in the notes and uh, we'll circle together after the fact. Um, cool. Man, any, uh, any uh, last parting thoughts, any, uh, any words of wisdom uh, to leave the audience with and, uh, and we can wrap things up, man. And I can get you on your day out in Bali and enjoying the beautiful, I can see the sun outside. It just looks nice. <laughs> it is very nice, man. Um, one last thing I wanted to say about that training real quick, if that's okay. Oh yeah, um, no problem. It is completely free. Uh, so like, I don't ask anything of you to watch the training and learn this stuff. If you do want to give me your email address, um, afterwards you can get access to a tracker sheet. It's a spreadsheet that I've designed to help people track sales quality. Um, so there's a lot of people out there that are helping people track, um, where sales are coming from, how much the sale was, things like that. But this helps you actually track your sales based on your best payday and your best buyer. Um, it takes less than like 30, 30, it's like 30 to 60 seconds per sale to fill it out every time you make a sale. And it's going to take all of that and put it into a dashboard that shows you data on how you're doing it, selling to clients who are a good quality match for you. Um, so nice. if they want that, that is available. Um, I like that. As far as words I like that a lot. I like, I like that, uh, that model with uh, the free and then the email. Dude, I, I like it. That's quality. Thank you. Um, I can't take credit for it. I learned it from Alex at Podmesh. <laughs> it doesn't matter who, who came up with it. That's just a quality thing to do for, for people looking for information because that's that's the type of I person I am. And um, mm -hmm. and I've really immersed into the value for value philosophy and yeah. um, and giving things away and the, the value comes back in some way. Sometimes monetarily, sometimes other ways, sometimes an email address, sometimes uh, a referral. But, you know, it's um, putting value out there always brings it back. So, Absolutely. Um, Frank Kern is one of my favorite people in the business world. Uh, he's been very foundational in shaping how I think and, and think about and view business. And this actually leads into um, some really good words of wisdom to end things on. But you know, one of the things that I learned from him that has become a, a foundational tenant in how I approach business is that the best way to develop trust and goodwill in a marketplace is to show people that you can help them by actually helping them. If you do that in your business and you make that a priority on the front end of your relationships with people, you will have better relationships and therefore better clients. And the quality of your business is uh, dictated by the quality of your clients. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, it just all, once you look at it in that lens, it all just makes sense. It all really mm -hmm. just, you, you start saying value for value and it, it comes up in every, in all sorts of conversations and um, man, it, it just, it explains it all. Well, it's, I know, but it's, and it's not new and it's not fun no. and exciting, which is why so many people forget it, you know, in, in lieu of the, the marketer who's selling you that this is the one, this one Facebook ad will change your entire business. It's so easy to be attracted to that stuff because it sounds good and it tickles our need for instant gratification. 
you know, you know what uh, that always reminds me of, and and we'll wrap it up with this. But it it, it always reminds me of when I see those get rich, get rich with these ads. It reminds me of that uh, cartoon that shows the guy that says, um, "I ordered my I ordered my how to how to get rich and not get scammed, and I paid a thousand dollars, and it hasn't showed up yet." Mm-hmm. that's that's what it is like the dude yeah. made your money like that's how you make the money man like it was on mm-hmm. craigslist forever when craigslist came out it was like oh send me five dollars and i'll tell you how to make i'll, I'll tell you how to make five hundred dollars get a hundred people to send that. you five dollars <laughs> yeah that went around around like 2005 2010 yeah yep. i remember that for sure anyway man i'm gonna i'm gonna wrap it up here i gotta i gotta get this process get it put up tonight drake i really appreciate you coming on i will get all those links from you uh after the show i'll get the show notes updated and all the video notes uh when the book comes out i'll circle back and get the the link out i appreciate you coming on um man what a great chat and uh i uh i think we're gonna wrap it up so i uh, i appreciate you coming on and thanks for being here yeah thanks so much for having me you run a great show I mean, hold on two seconds. I'm going to wrap up and then I'll catch up with you for a minute. Cool. All right, All right man. That was uh, what a what a great chat. The the philosophies there, the the information he put out there just makes sense. And I was glad when uh, we started going down that path. And he said, new business older owners, experienced in in path. Um, these principles just get applied at every level, and it's not a get rich quick kind of thing. It's a uh, it's a uh, it's just foundations and good foundations of building business. So take what you can from it, listen and, uh, and share it. Um, I'd like to thank Drake for joining us and be sure to check out all those links. I'll get all of them updated. And then when his book comes out, it's definitely going to be something you're going to want to check out. So if you enjoyed the show, would you do me a favor and leave a five-star review on the, the podcast that you're listening at? or a like and a subscribe here on on YouTube and leave a comment or share it with someone you know. I appreciate you spending the time with us tonight and then we will catch you next time on Lots to Talk About. Shining in with a new day Nothing in this world is